We were able to find these uh, early investors that were willing to pretty much bet on the back of a napkin. I imagine, and you can probably ask most of the investors, they were probably throwing it as, well, okay, we trust you, Brian, but we're probably not ever gonna see this money again. <laughs> but here's our, here's our bet for community development. From Grindstone, this is Nebraska Made, a narrative journey through the lives of Nebraska's most inspiring business leaders. We unpack the intimate details of how our guests navigated obstacles and built their companies in pursuit of the good life. I'm JT Martin, and today's guest is a certified early adopter and the director of innovation at Nelmet, Brian Ardinger. Our guest today, Brian Ardinger, has a keen eye for what's around the corner when it comes to technology, and he's been on the front lines for much of the innovation that's happened in the state over the years. He was responsible for helping bring the first PayPal offices to Omaha. He started the Nmotion Startup Accelerator, which has produced countless success stories, and now he's helping lead Nelnet into the future as their director of innovation. His path has taken him everywhere from Hong Kong to Silicon Valley, but something about Nebraska has always brought him back. I was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, so my father was an English professor. He came out here to actually take a position at Bellevue University when it was first kind of spinning up, and he was the vice president of academic affairs there. So he brought us from West Virginia with uh, mountains to a place with no mountains, and this idea of this big sky it was kind of a freaky kind of change. So in high school, I was in, in DECA. I was a state president back in 1986. And uh, that, that whole marketing business kind of thing, my, my uh, marketing teacher at the time, Al Winstrand, um, he was a deck advisor and that he took me under his wing uh, to a large extent and really kind of gave me the confidence uh, to do things like run for state office or um, just pursue my passion around business. And so um, during the summers, he was always doing these side projects, market research projects and that for somebody. So he'd always pull me along that and kind of that'd be my side gig. So my first project with that, uh, we were working for Certified Transmission, which is a company still out there today. And uh, we, we uh, the founder of Certified Transmission was looking at trying to expand his business to different locations. So our market research project was to determine where should he put his new location. And so my first project was literally going through every single this is before computers or before the you know, advent of CRM systems and things like that. I literally go through the hand invoices of all uh, of his customers and write down and put a pin on a map of where every particular customer came from around th this particular certified transmission location. And this is before like Facebook analytics oh, or yeah, any of like this no. <laughs> targeted advertising that people can do. And it really was literally me in the basement with a bunch of invoices with the hand scrawled uh, addresses on it and then figuring out, okay, where on the map is that particular address and putting it down. And then at the end of the day, you'd have this you know, great visualization. So Brian goes to UNO and gets his degree in marketing and small business management. He starts a small consulting firm with his mentor, Al Widstrand, out of college and gets some great data research experience. Brian seemed to have a curiosity for how the world works and was absorbing everything like a sponge, but he never spent much time outside of the state. So when an opportunity came for him in 1990 to travel abroad, he jumped on it. And so my best friend, who I've known since first grade, uh, Chris Moeller, he um, had been studying Chinese as part of his um, university study. And he said, hey, I just finished my studying for Chinese. I, I now 
quote unquote fluent. I'm going to take a, a month and travel around China. Do you want to come with me? It's like, what kind of opportunity am I going to have to go to China with somebody who speaks the language and get to travel the in, inner part of China? And uh, I said, sure. So I'd never been out of the country at that time. Flew over to uh, Hong Kong, where he was based, and um, immediately we spent 30 days trying to travel around China. And uh, I knew at that point through that travel, like, I have to get back over here. And so after vacation, came back and said, well, what's the most logical way to get back over there without, you know, I have no you know, tie to China, I have you know, no international business background or whatever, but what do I need to do to kind of put those pieces in place so that I can go and build a career over there? So I said, well, I'm going to go get my MBA. So that's when I decided I'll go to Penn State, get my MBA focused on international business. And then I bought a one-way ticket after I graduated and flew back over there. I guess I just think that for Nebraskans, Chicago is <laughs> yeah. this giant, you know, like metropolis. And, you know, if you make it to Chicago, wow, you're really out there. And then you take it a step further and you go across the world, you know, maybe from if you're from some real international city like New York City, okay, maybe it makes sense that you're going to, you know, do a little stint in Hong Kong, but it just sounds really ambitious. And not a lot of your colleagues, you know, from college probably were doing the same thing. Yeah, they were going to New York and they were doing banking things or, or, you know, most of my MBA. One of the reasons I chose Penn State was it was a massive university, uh, but the MBA program is pretty small still. um, and they were the only ones that were willing to actually put together a, a, a study abroad program for me. Um, so uh, as part of my MBA, I took a semester and spent a semester in Hong Kong. So you graduated with your MBA and you went to work for Gartner? Yeah, so I bought a one-way ticket, flew over, knocked on doors, and uh, got connected with Gartner, who had just started opened an office there. And they were looking to build out their consulting practice. So I was hired as myself and one other individual to build up the consulting practice in Asia, um, which was quite interesting. So my first project was I had to size the DASD market in China. First thing I did was, what the heck's a DASD? So <laughs> I had to, DASDs are, are like the, the storage units back in the day where you know a ter- terabyte of storage was a big deal. And they, in the big mini frames and mainframes, they'd uh, have these storage devices. And so I was like, well, how am I going to figure this out? So, you know, did back of the napkin things. First, again, first, what is a DASI? Uh, secondly, then trying to figure out, uh, well, who sells this stuff and, and who buys this stuff? And then you start triangulating all this type, type of information. Uh, you start asking, you know, the vendors who are selling this. Uh, and then you ask who's buying this. And you start doing interviews and you start kind of figuring out what the answer is. And you take these wild guesses and, and hopefully you're, you're kind of in the ballpark probably put a lot of uh, a lot of pins on maps again yeah, like exactly. you did in your early <laughs> days too because it was sort of a rudimentary way yeah. of doing research back then it sounds like and so you're overseas while Nebraska's winning all these national championships yes do you ever feel like <laughs> your life back in the states is kind of you're missing out on things uh, yes and no. So the great thing about the internet was it was opening up and so you had things like real player where the um, the ability to stream, you know, audio at the time. Uh, and so we would sit up at two in the morning listening to a Nebraska game live, uh, you know, via the real audio stream. And then we'd go out and have breakfast after the game was over. And <laughs> one of the bowl games, we got one of the local bars to open up. Uh, I think it was like, it was the Alamo Bowl. We got one of the bars to open up because they were going to stream it on ESPN. And uh, so we got 
gotten to the bar and we had like five other Nebraska friends that we that we knew from Hong Kong. So anyway, we, we went to the bar and, and uh, you know the, the little ESPN da 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 came on the on the screen. I was like, oh, that just feels so like refreshing because we hadn't heard that before <laughs> in quite a long time. And uh, yeah, one of my friends was like, oh, this is this is amazing. So Brian works at Gardner in Hong Kong in the 90s before being transferred to the Silicon Valley office at the beginning of 1998. At this point, he was getting more and more experience with this new technology called the internet, so much so that he was becoming considered an internet expert and was even called on by CNBC in Asia to report when they would have a story related to the technology. So making the move with Gardner to Silicon Valley as a senior executive was the perfect fit for him until his curiosity and wanderlust returned once again. Okay, so Chris, he, he was your childhood friend, right? Who was yeah. the translator? He was in Silicon Valley as well? He was in LA. Okay. He had been learning HTML from scratch, and, and I was at Gartner, and I was covering software um, and this new internet stuff. There was a lot of stuff going on in Silicon Valley, but it, it was almost that, that was almost boring compared to what I was doing in Asia. Um, and I just wanted to change because, you know, I'd been running on adrenaline in Asia so much. Um, and so I just wanted to, to, to mix it up a bit. So my friend Chris, who had been living down in L.A. and learning HTML at the time, um, he, he was, you know, looking for a change as well. And so we both quit our jobs and decided to do this project we call Quest 4. And so we bought a great Jeep Grand Cherokee and uh, set off uh, – to go around the United States to tell the stories about how do people find success in America and what were their journeys along the way. And so this is beginning of the internet, you know, we were hand coding HTML. There was no Google, Google, I think maybe it just started, but there wasn't like a, you know, search anything and find your answer uh, kind of deal. The, there were blogs had not started yet. And so we basically created this online community building these tools from scratch or, you know, we had hand-coded HTML pages every day that we'd upload. Uh, and then we mapped out a trip around the United States with the goal of interviewing different types of people around, not the Bill Gates of the world, but you know the average, everyday Joe that was doing something interesting. Mm -hmm. And did it have to be internet-related, or could it be internet? No, no. So, no. I mean, we interviewed a, you know, a stunt woman in L.A. and a schooner captain in Maine and a big game hunter in, in Wyoming. So we spent about a, almost a year on the road, and every day... We do some interesting things. We post it up there. We talk to some folks. We transcribe the interviews and post them up. And we kind of started doing that. Well, back then you couldn't even see what was trending on Instagram in the next town yeah. and message people and set up an interview. Yeah. You had to literally go ask at the gas station what's happening in this town that we should yeah. know about and talk to. Generally, most of the cities we had some type of connection uh, or built a quick connection that we could find two or three interesting stories. Every city and town has interesting stories to tell. And so it was finding those, those interesting people and, and telling those stories, which was kind of fun. We got off the road after about a year and uh, we decided to put the, the project to rest. Um, I tried to figure out, okay, what am I gonna do next? And so I ended up back in Nebraska and I took a stint as head of economic development for Sarpy County. Um, and so I took over with the idea of like, how am I gonna market the, the city of Omaha and the surrounding Sarpy County and that for companies that were moving in there. So again, didn't have a lot of experience around that, but I was, you know, ambitious enough to, to figure that out and um, help bring PayPal here to Nebraska. 
Uh, that was my first big client and first big win. And I remember the, the day the person walked in from Cal- California, um, she had a card, X.com, which is Elon Musk's company. And uh, it had just been bought by PayPal, or they just merged. And they're, they're saying, we're, we're trying to expand our call center. And we heard, you know, Nebraska might be a place that we should look. And I said, okay, great. Let's let's go and I'll tour you around. And and uh, at the end of the day, we, we sat them down and said, Here's the prices. Here's here's where we, you know, where we're at. We'd love to have you guys come here. And uh, they look at the prices and they're like, hmm, it's not as good as I thought it was going to be. It's like, well, this is crazy because we know it's got to be cheaper than California. These are the annual numbers. And they said, oh, we thought these were monthly. Okay, well, well <laughs> what do we have to do to, <laughs> to move here? Because it was that dramatic of a dis- uh, difference. And it's probably still similar today. But I, at the early stages, like, I had to really fight for... Uh, attracting a company like that here because it was a startup and it was, you know, unknown. This whole PayPal thing was kind of crazy at the time. It's like, why do we want to try to help these types of companies? We don't know if they're going to be around in a year. And it's like, well, look at their growth numbers and look at what they're doing. And, you know, I don't think this is as risky a bet as you might think. It's not a, you know, IBM bringing 500 call center jobs. It it was something different. And you didn't probably even know who Elon Musk was at the time. No, I mean, I'd read a couple stories that he had cr- cr- crashed his McLaren and things like that. But <laughs> for the most part, I had, yeah, I, I'd heard of X.com and, and PayPal and what they were doing. And it was on this massive, quick growth path. Uh, but it was still pretty early days. This was 99, I guess it was. So I, I only had about a year and a half stint as an economic developer. It wasn't something I, I was super passionate about, although I, I really did like trying to, you know, sell and attract people to Nebraska. Um, but I got a call from my former colleague at Gartner. He said, hey, I just interviewed for a job back in Asia um, with a company called China.com. And they're going to be the AOL of China. And uh, they're trying to ha- find a head of research. Um, I don't really want to go back to Asia, but I think you know, this would be an interesting job. Would you want me to you know, put your name in the hat? I said, sure. So I put my ha- name in the hat, got a call, and they said, hey, we'd love to interview you for this. Can you come to Hong Kong this weekend? And it's like, I'm in Nebraska. Sure. <laughs> so I got on a plane. I flew 24 hours to get to Hong Kong. I interviewed with my, would be my future boss, um, in the airport. And he said, I've got to go to India today. Um, you look, your resume looks great. You look great. Uh, the recommendations are great. Head into the office tomorrow morning, meet some folks. And if this is something you want to do, we'll, we'll make this happen. So I called my uh, girlfriend, now wife at the time at, from the hotel after the, the airport interview. And I said, hey, do you want to move to Hong Kong? And uh, she was like, sure. So Brian works for China.com in their web services division, basically building the core infrastructure for the internet for these big Asian brands. He did that for a few years, and then the dot-com bubble burst, and 9-11 happened, and he decides to move back to Nebraska, where he and his wife Susan are from. So they get back home, and it's 2002, And there were about three software startups in Nebraska at the time, so not a great job market. But Brian starts knocking on doors and meets Bradley Walker, the founder of NanoNation, a company that was building interactive kiosks, digital signage, and different digital experiences for big brands like Mazda and Royal Caribbean. It was exciting stuff, and it kept him busy for 10 years as the CMO. Brian joined as about the 8th or ninth employee at NanoNation and helped them scale the company to around 40 employees when the startup world started calling him back. I was personally interested in getting back into startups because I had 
seen the you know the, some of the new waves that were happening back in you know 2008 2009 and I knew that there were some opportunities here in Nebraska um, so I, I left Nanonation to take a position as an entrepreneur in residence at New Tech Ventures which is the tech transfer arm of the University of Nebraska and I think the original position was come in take a look at some technologies that are coming out of the university and and maybe spin one of those off uh, as a company so I got in there and it's like well there's nothing I immediately see that I want to, you know, sink my teeth into. But what I did see was there's this opportunity of everything that was going on in the university, everything that was going on the outside in the public-private space, and this whole rise of startup communities in that. And, and I thought there was an opportunity to bridge those gaps and bring those folks a little bit closer together. And I said, well, project I'd like to do is spin up Accelerator. And I'd met with David Cohen, the founder of Techstars, and they had just spun up their, their playbook of what Techstars was. And I said, well, I think we could probably do something here that's similar, you know, invest in early stage software technology companies, five or 10 at a time, um, put them as a cohort together, and then bring the community mentors, you know, advisors, uh, investors around those to see if we could accelerate those companies faster than what would typically be a two or three year experience of having coffee meetings and trying to figure out what the hell am I doing? So university said, well, that's, that's fine. We'll pay you, but uh, everything else you've got to figure out yourself or, you know, that's the only thing we, we can contribute at this point. And uh, so it's like, great. Okay. So I went out and started uh, meeting some folks, um, tried to learn this whole thing called venture capital and, and what that meant, especially in Nebraska, you know, angel investing. And so I raised a little mini angel seed fund that we could then invest in these companies, raised a second pot of dollars that were the, the sponsor dollars that would allow us to run the program. And then I said, I want to run it for three years and let's see what happens. So kicked off in motion, uh, ran really fast to make that happen. And we had the first cohort within a year of me starting as, um, which meant everything from raising the capital to putting everything together, to finding companies, to actually putting them uh, through the paces. And so that first year, we had five companies we invested in. And so, you know, the model actually worked to, to a certain extent. We, you know, we were able to find these uh, early investors that were willing to pretty much bet on the back of a napkin, um, which is hard to do in Nebraska, to find those. You can find those folks out in the valley quite, there's people that are throwing dollars at early ideas all the time. Here, it's much harder to find that. And then, you know, to tell that story and say, trust me, I think this is going to work. Um, I imagine, and you can probably ask most of the investors, they were probably throwing it at us, well, okay, we trust you, Brian, but we're probably not ever going to see this money again. <laughs> but here's our, here's our bet for community development. And, uh, you know, luckily we were able to return the fund and, and then some. Um, but, you know, the experiment, the experiment worked. It's 2012, 2013 when you get into this. Yep. We're just kind of coming off that housing crisis. Yep. The Internet's just kind of starting to really show that it has some legs. And Nebraska is ranking near the bottom in venture capital. Yeah. We probably feel like, you know, the forgotten stepchild of the states here. So yeah. it, it was probably hard to drum up support. And you're, that first team that you brought in, that first cohort, probably felt like the biggest underdogs in the country. <laughs> I, I think one of the only reasons why it worked is I just ran very fast and, like, I'm going to run it either into a wall or this is going to work. Like, there was no really in-between, like, we're going to milk our way and try to, you know, get all the support and, and build it all up and eventually get to the place where we need to get to. It's like, we're going to run really fast. We're going to get the people that really believe in this or not. And we're going to see if it works. Was there ever a really dark day when you were like, 
you know oh. what, we might have to call it quits right here. And maybe Nebraska isn't the place to build these type of companies. Maybe I was wrong. Uh, I mean, there's always dark days in startups uh, and you sometimes block those out and don't want to go back and relive them, so to speak. But I mean, all along the way, there was times when if, if this didn't happen, the whole thing would have fallen down or if this next investor didn't come on board or if somebody decided to back out or I don't know, whatever the case may be. Um, there were always the the instances where it could fall down, but you have to have, I guess this. I don't want to say mindless optimism, but <laughs> it's 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 basically like this is going to work out because we will make it work out. We will figure out whatever the plan B has to be. I mean, every every cohort, I would say, week six out of the twelve or week nine out of the twelve, every year I think we had a team that pretty much exploded or you know co-founder a co-founder fighting or or you know something that was going well fell apart and it's like oh, we have to pivot to a completely new idea and every every year there was those kind of things that happened that was like you got to reset yourself and and see what uh, what the next challenge is can you rise to it or not and despite a few setbacks Nmotion took off since 2013 Nmotion has helped 56 early stage companies including Quantified Ag Noble Health, Realm 5, Live By, Leveraged RX, just to name a few. And over the years, as Brian's vision and leadership becomes more and more visible to the public eye, he starts to get pulled into new consulting projects and new endeavors. After the first three years, I, I said, well, I, I've been asked to do some other things, and, and uh, I, can you raise the second fund? So I raised the second fund, and then um, we turned it to some other folks to help run it. Um, and then I stepped away to do more of this corporate innovation kind of work. And through that, I kept getting asked during the process of InMotion, how are you doing this? How are companies moving so fast? What's this whole thing called customer discovery and lean startup and some of this stuff that we think might work in a bigger company? How does that work? And so, you know, through that particular process, spun up insideoutside.io um, to help tell those stories and help corporates uh, kind of understand the nuances with startups and you know, bring the ties and the t-shirts together to, to see what happens. And so we started the podcast and then a year later we started the event series. Um, and we've had four years of events that we brought um, folks from all over the world to come to the middle of Nebraska to talk about innovation and all the fun things around that. And that's what I still, to do, still do today. Uh, and then last two and a half years I uh, became uh, director of innovation at Nelnet. Uh, there, I've got a couple hats that I wear. One is the uh, the venture capital hat, so we invest in quite a number of startups. So that's one hat, and the second hat is the the inside innovation, uh, helping our own teams think and act and move more like startups, and uh, b being more innovative with what we're doing. So, helping our uh, different business units, and we're pretty diverse. Most people think of Nelnet as you know servicing our your student loan. Um, but we've just spun up a Nelnet Bank. We've just spun up Nelnet Renewable Energy uh, Division, where we're doing uh, community solar in that. And so there's a lot of different things that we're doing. We, you know, obviously Allo was a big diversification and uh, putting gigabit fiber here in Nebraska. And so we're always looking for, you know, what are new ways we can create and build value for, you know, Nebraska, our ecosystem, uh, and Nelnet itself. What was it about Nebraska that made you successful? brought you back of all the things that you worked on yeah. you know whether it's you know nano nation and you tech ventures and motion and nelnet what was it about nebraska that you think made you successful i it always comes back to people 
I mean, your ability to connect with people here in Nebraska and to find different tribes that help you <laughs> kind of navigate different things, um, I've always found it super open. Do you think that Nebraska could ever be at risk of losing that if we were to become the next Austin, Texas or something yeah. like that? Well, I mean, I think cities go through evolutions based on strengths and weaknesses and that. I think we are going into this, you know, talking about trends and that, you know, I don't know exactly how Nebraska is going to fare from the standpoint of there's a lot of, when you look at any place a person can live in the world, you know, we don't have some of those natural advantages that a Boulder or Miami or what might have. Um, having said that, we have th I think we've got to double down on the people, like double down on um, our helpfulness and our ability to um, help the builders, makers, movers, shakers, creators and founders have an opportunity to say, hey, we will support you in what you're building. That's cool. I was talking to Scott Henderson the other day mm -hmm. about about how Pittsburgh kind of got this autonomous vehicle yeah. identity. And he talked about how kind of all these different industries kind of melded together. And it, it was just sort of this like kind of organic birth. Do you see anything in Nebraska that could point you towards a strength that we might have in a particular industry, maybe in a particular vertical? Yeah. That looks promising. I mean, one of the things that in motion, we tried to figure out what are the kind of the verticals, core things that we could attract companies to help build here. And obviously sports tech is one of the big things with Huddle and Open Doors and others, uh, Elite Form, that there's a, I think one of the reasons why sports techs actually works very well here is like, unlike some other industries where you have to have customers in your backyard. So take Nashville, for example, with the healthcare space, you know, there's a ton of people working in healthcare and that that's why that cluster has formed. But like in sports, sports are everywhere and all places. There's no like one place to go to get a customer for sports. It's everywhere. So um, it's geographically um, diverse from a customer base perspective. So I think we're as good as any other place <laughs> that could uh, create that type of sports tech kind of complex and that. So if people are watching this, uh, one, thank you. Uh, but, but two, you know, lean into the fact that you have an opportunity to build something here. You know, I think a lot of times we look to say, well, we can't do that here. You know, that's not what we're, that's not what we are. But you have to have people that take that first step. And the more people that take that first step, those become the next mentors for the next level for whatever. And so don't be afraid to start a side project. Don't be afraid that, that you have to build everything and have it to be successful to get going. Like start something and you're probably gonna stub your toe and you're probably not gonna make it work right that first time, but the second, the third, the fifth, the 10th time, you might. Today, Brian's consulting firm, InsideOutside.io, allows him to do what he does best, help companies navigate and compete in a world of change and disruption. His startup accelerator brainchild, Enmotion, continues to crank out new startups and has recently appointed Nebraska native Scott Henderson to lead the program into the future. You can follow what Brian is up to on the Inside Outside Innovation Podcast, which has run continuously for seven years and recently just topped over 250 episodes. I'm JT Martin, and this has been a Grindstone production. Grindstone is one of the premier production and marketing firms here in Lincoln, offering everything you need to grow your business from video and podcast production to social media management and media buying. You can learn more by visiting grindstoneagency.com. Well, and what I like about Nebraska is that you can think here, but then you can also act here. Like, it's one of the only places I've found that it's it's the tight-knit community where you can 
you're within one or two degrees of getting whatever you want done. People are willing to help. You can send an email to Brian Ardinger and he'll come on your podcast. Like this doesn't <laughs> happen in Silicon Valley, you know?